Hello, hello, and welcome to the CBETS podcast. We're your hosts, Georgina Piltz. And Ruben Cervantes. And if you were with us last week, we had Samuel join us as we started chatting about, about your book, Have You Been Blinded? And so today we're kind of just going to co- continue that conversation, but uh, more of a hopeful tone. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We're looking at chapter three, which, you know, right. some of my favorite verses that I've really utilized in my life. Uh, to understand some difficult situations, to understand the bigger picture. Right. They are found in Habakkuk uh, chapter 3. But just to remind our listeners that our main desire um, to, as the CBETS podcast is to empower you wherever you are and whatever uh, uh, realm of, of life you are a part of, whatever you know occupation, that you would understand, that you would live, and you would be able to share the foreigner message, the complete gospel message that talks about the beauty of the cross and, and the work of Jesus as he walked the earth. And of course, as we look forward to the day of his return and how he will lead human history yeah. in that direction. And I find that Habakkuk sets a huge example for us that sometimes God confronts us, as you exposed right. last week, but he sets us on a journey of transformation, right? That we might be equally yoked with him and be, you know, understand that he ultimately is doing this for the good of humanity and the intention he created us. Right. So this is exciting, man. I, I, I'm really, you know, thinking about this since the last podcast. Uh, I really see, wow, God is so faithful to expose truth because that's we were made for this new and living way. Right. So why don't you lead us there? What were the assumptions that that Habakkuk, uh, you know, experienced? What did he confront? Ultimately, what did it right. lead to? Right. And so the last podcast, we kind of started hitting at Habakkuk's assumptions, which in his particular context, uh, I think he kind of had two assumptions. One is that he's like, hey, God, we're in trouble and you're not around. We talked a little bit about how we all kind of fall prey Mm -hmm. to this practical deism where we're like, God's not involved in my situation, my nation, my city, my, you know. Now, sometimes the more controversial truth is that he actually is involved, but, but that's the first one. The second one is Habakkuk was blinded by his nationalism. And by that, we mean he assumed God's purposes were connected to the political success of Judah. And Uh, he assumed God was on his side, and he likely used Bible verses to back up his assumptions. And so that was the particular manifestation of his assumption. And God confronts him and basically goes, the thing you're most terrified about is actually what what I'm doing. Wow. And just for some of our listeners, that doesn't mean every single thing in your life that you're afraid of. It's God, <laughs> that's not what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're saying he does lead history. He leads it differently than we expect to produce what he wants. And so we kind of, last time we talked about this, in a sense, it got a little bit heavy because we kind of went, God keeps confronting us on every level. I'm not going to explain myself. You have to submit to me. I'm governing. I'm in charge. I started Job's trouble. Yeah. I scared Habakkuk. And so we we need to face it. But how do we face it? And and that's I think where we need to go next. And the the thing about Habakkuk that we didn't get to last time is is his book starts with a confrontation. Yeah. Chapter 2 God says Habakkuk, you better live by faith because the proud are going to be destroyed, meaning if you keep evaluating me actually pride and you're going to end up like Babylon when you read the whole context. And then as the, then he tells Habakkuk, Hey, by the way, write down this conversation, make it really easy to read because I want it carried everywhere, which tells you I'm dealing with a fundamental issue 
that everyone, and he tells him this message is going to go all the way to the end, meaning every generation has to wrestle with it. And the thing that's so hopeful is once Habakkuk went through their confrontation, I actually love the way chapter two starts because Habakkuk actually rebuked the Lord, which (laughs) we do that too. We just don't admit it. But then he goes, I will sit quietly and wait for his response. And I went, you know what? Maybe we should sit quietly sometimes and wait for his response. But what I love is the Habakkuk never gets a logical explanation. Habakkuk, here's the two data points that require me to do what I'm about to do. But he does get an interaction with the Lord. He gets a confrontation from the Lord. And that confrontation is, hey, I'm more involved and I'm doing something you don't think I'm doing. But that confrontation actually has a dramatic hope. Habakkuk, you thought the world was out of control and you were terrified. I'm actually deeply involved. And their interaction produces Habakkuk 3, which is one of the longest uh, descriptions of the Lord's coming describes him marching in power and might and in glory. We, we would read this literally. Some would go a little more poetically, but if you read it literally, it's like the Lord coming with his judgments and his pestilence and plagues before him. But the big point is Habakkuk goes, you know what? Whether I see trouble in my day or success in my day, I'm going to sing because I now have confidence there's a God who leads history and it might not go the way I expect, but I know he's faithful to bring about every thing he said he would do. He may right. shock me. Right. <laughs> he may not do it while I'm alive, but he will do it. Right. And I, I just love the, as you mentioned, this, this uh, optimistic um, uh, clinging to the hope that not only is God in control, but like it's good. Right. I mean, he, he even, let, let me just read the first uh, verse two of chapter three. It says, Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. Oh, Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, revive it in the midst of the years, make it known. So he's not only uh, no longer complaining, he's saying advance your purposes. And then it's this beautiful phrase in wrath. In other words, I'm not disagreeing with your wrath. It's similar to your right. your book on mercy before judgment. Right. Uh, in wrath. Remember mercy. Right. It's this. It's this, I know your character. I know your heart. Right. And I'm agreeing with your statements now that I was confused. I, you exposed my, my nationalism. You exposed my, you know, all of the, the things that I, I saw differently. I thought you were absent. And, and so what I'm saying to you now is remember mercy because right. I know that about you. And, I mean, it's right. just so beautiful how it starts. No, I love that you hit that verse because, again, the, ver- the book starts with Habakkuk praying And the Lord was kind enough to answer his prayers, but he kind of confronted him and went, you're actually praying with the wrong assumptions. (laughs) And so we have to have a conversation. But I love this one because some people could read that and go, oh, that just means we're passive. He does whatever he wants. The Lord just does whatever he wants. We're not going to weigh in on it. But I love this one because Habakkuk's going, okay, you're involved. You get a right to do stuff I might not want you to do, but I also know who you are and I'm going to ask you for mercy. So he's still in a wrestle of intercession going, right. I think I can affect your activity, but I'm now willing to, uh, or I am fully convinced you're deeply involved. Right. You're good. Your wrath is troublesome and difficult, but I know you're good. You're going to produce good. So I'm going to go back to the place of intercession from a different perspective. Yeah. Right. 
And that's that's beautiful. And again, it's not like we have to say the right abacadabra prayers, ah. right, to, to be heard properly. But in, in, in essence, we are being discipled by his adjusted perspective right, right now to see who he is. And, and we marvel at that. And I think I think there's so many so much function to in um, precise prayers that are you know more more accurate or more more right right um, and so but but I just love that because ultimately what it does for Habakkuk is it as you mentioned in uh, in the last podcast it, it's transformative right it transforms his perspective it transforms right. his heart and he prays in such a manner that's not just intercessory but it's worshipful right mm. you know it's this 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 perspective of 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 submission and and like do it, God. Not only like, why aren't you doing it? Like, that's what it was. It's, right. oh, do it. Like, now that I see, advance it. You know, do right. what is according to your heart. Yeah. I see it and, and I trust you. And it actually you. causes prayer and worship to be prolonged too because it's more enjoyable because you're doing it out of a love worship overflow instead of, oh my goodness, have you seen what's going on? You know what I mean? It changes how you do it. Yeah, and as you mentioned, it, whether you believe it poetic or literal, He's talking about a future, like he right. rises beyond the immediate trouble that's in front of him. Beyond his own lifetime, even. Right. Beyond his lifetime, you know, beyond his, his century, his, you know, <laughs> beyond his millennium into a potent, a future right. that he, he doesn't know when that time is. You know, it's not like he knows the, the year or whatever. It's not mentioned, obviously. <laughs> but, but he looks to a time, oh, here's where it's going. Right. You are going to do just as you said, and it's beautiful. The so, bigger picture. So I love the this conflict. God's quite aggressive with him, and he's aggressive with us. But the result of the interaction is an explosion of worship. That's a huge point. Because Habakkuk doesn't end depressed and distressed and going, oh my goodness. In fact, all the people God confronts like this actually end up in a worship mode. Like we talked about Job a little back. Job might be the most controversial. There's probably another one. but Yeah. He doesn't get at the end of the book offended at God. He gets the end of the book comforted by God, even though the text will say for the disaster God brought on him. You know, Joseph goes through all this trial, but at the end of his life, he's clean before the Lord. He goes, you know what, guys? You meant stuff for evil. God actually designed my suffering for good. And so there's something about the knowledge of God they have. And so Habakkuk opens, and he kind of tells us, I think, in verse 2, one of his keys. He goes, okay, I've heard the talk about what you did in the past which is going to be the Exodus, right? And the, the Exodus is so beautiful because the Hebrews were crying out, but according to the text, they weren't necessarily even crying out to God. They're just crying out in pain. Like, in other yeah. words, they weren't perfect and holy. They were just like, help. Yeah. But I love this because he goes, okay, here's the secret. I remember what you've did, done. I'm looking forward to what you're doing. And so whenever we get in a conversation like this, I can, people kind of, they start to go, okay, so you're asking me to blindly trust a divine being I cannot evaluate if he brings disaster and if he does what he did to Job. So how do we trust him? Right. Like, give me a little bit of evidence, please. I mean, I want to say yes. And what's so beautiful is at the time we live in, we can do the same thing as Habakkuk and go, okay, I remember what you did before. And we can stare at the cross. Right. Because when we look at the cross, we see... The divine person mm-hmm. suffered. The divine person chose to suffer for his enemies. Wow. And he's scarred forever. He's forever scarred and marked by his suffering. So when you stare at the cross, you go, okay, any God who's willing to step into our realm, take on our suffering, be handed over to evil, because that's what he said. The Father's going to hand me over, not protect me. 
and do all of that when we were his enemies, we're told, okay, we can trust whatever he does. Yeah. So that's the first one because that gives us the divine heart. And so the cross gives the anchor point. When people are wrestling, they're going, wait a minute, you just kind of hinted that my nation's future might not be what I hoped it would be. Well, possible. Don't know. Very possible. Well, well, how do we know God's good then? Because we stare at the cross and we go, any God that would do that and it would cost him something forever has to be leading things in in righteousness for the sake of our good. It cost him something to produce good for us. It's so beautiful. I mean, and just going going back to the Habakkuk's you know perspective, because I think that ultimately it asks questions for us today um, about the na- the knowledge of God, right? right? I mean, that's what you were touching on. Like, wow, you see if you see Him, but there's also parts like like we were mentioning that we don't see, right? And right. you talk about this confident blindness, right? Like, and and not just not not. I mean. Can you just expound a little bit about what you meant by by that? Yeah, what I mean by confident blindness is this. Um, you get a man like Habakkuk. I think genuinely loved God. I think God genuinely loved him. His assumptions were so intense that the future of Judah must be this and the future of Babylon must be that in my generation. Mm-hmm. And then he would use Bible verses to back him up. And he's not wrestling with the full counsel of the knowledge of God if that makes sense. So in Habakkuk's case, he knew Judah was sinful. He talks about it a little bit in chapter one, but then he went, but we're not as sinful as Babylon. Uh, and then we'll go, well, actually we have Bible verses and we have covenant. So <laughs> he's selectively applying verses and I hate to hit him that hard for it, but we do the same thing. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not brother Habakkuk's the only one. We selectively <laughs> apply verses and then we get fully convinced about what the outcome is. So one example is, I often get nervous when people pray national prayers and they go, God, send mercy, have mercy. I'm like, okay, I, do you understand what that, that, that's a big (laughs) word because what we're imagining is have mercy means, Hey, would you minimize some of the social sins? Would you accelerate the economy? And would you bring revival? The Lord might go, you've had a good economy for 50 years, right? that actually might not be the most best thing for you. I'm thinking in turn of an eternal time span where I want to make you like my son. And if I keep adding to your comfort, you're never going to be shocked with the truth of your own internal condition. And the most merciful thing might be. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. This change, that change, whatever it is. Right. And again, that's not a formula. That doesn't mean every cry for revival means, oh my goodness, it's got to be disaster. No, that's not true at all. Right. It's not a formula, but the point is we make assumptions we back them by Bible verses. We say, oh, God can't be at work there because that's not truthful or that's mm-hmm. not the right way to do it. And you're like, well, Habakkuk 1 says he actually worked through a people God calls proud, arrogant, <laughs> nasty. I mean, when he, went, when he was done with Habakkuk, God's question was, who will go lie to his prophets to trick him? <laughs> I, mean, we don't, I mean, we just act like this is, well, that's the Old Testament God. Right. No, that... He's him. Yeah. Like he hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. going to use the devil He's in the end times, wants. you know? <laughs> and so I, so I think the cross gives us the confidence. And I think the other thing that gives us confidence is what I call the mystery and majesty of his sovereignty. And, and sovereignty, when you get in theological conversations, becomes a loaded word. But I think if we simply define it this way, God's absolute control over his creation, and he always gets what he wants. And so I think like Acts 3 is an example. Peter starts preaching and he goes, hey, you guys killed an innocent man, the son of God. 
you did the worst possible thing. You need to repent. And then he flips and goes, Hey, by the way, when you did that, you did the very thing God intended. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. So God hands his son over to evil using Jesus's own words. He doesn't protect him. He goes, evil can do its worst to you right now, which is just, I can't even get my head around it. (laughs) And Peter then goes, Hey guys who did it. He doesn't say God controlled you. He went, you acted out an evil influence and you need to repent. Yeah. You're so responsible. You, you did real evil. This isn't mechanical. It's you real chose evil. It. And the father handed him over and didn't protect him. And then the most evil act in all of history immediately secures the greatest victory in all of eternity. And I think right there, God's going, stare at it. I did not protect my son. I let evil do its worst. And it produced benefit you can't imagine. Yeah. If I can guide his story. What can I do for yours? Again, it's not a formula. It doesn't mean every cruel thing done to you is going to have a corresponding, but it is a principle that you cooperate with him in some way. He will take the real actual evil that we encounter. And I, you know, sovereignty often leads to debates. (laughs) You know, okay, what's it mean? Does that mean God causes everything? I think biblical sovereignty leads you to Habakkuk 3 and to worship. Because the message of biblical sovereignty is this. God lets creatures really resist him. They really do evil. Babylon goes on the rampage. The Romans really killed Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Humans do real evil. And when they do real evil, the trauma is real. We don't want to overlook it. We don't want to minimize it. Trauma, and God cares about it, and he says he'll judge it. But even when they resist him, they end up moving forward what he wants. And so it's like, who can resist him? Right. And I, and, and again, the, the, there are pastoral issues around trauma and suffering and abuse. And I don't want to overlook those, Yeah. but we, there, there's not a formula to answer every situation, but there is an overarching paradigm. Stare at the cross and stare at his son. And I think that paradigm is what made the apostles unstoppable. Yeah. Cause they went, Oh, wait a minute. God didn't protect Jesus. The Romans killed him. And, Victory emerged. Right. Yeah. So if we preach the gospel and they throw us in jail and maybe Stephen dies early and whatever, not that those would be small things, but they're like, we're unstoppable. Because in his equation, the worst evil can create the greatest advance. Right. And their hope was really placed on a, on a resurrected state. I mean, right. and, and that's, I think when we talk about these things, we can keep it conceptually right. And it kind of, yeah. kind of like, yeah, yeah, I think. Because at the end of the day, we're still confronting our our split hope where we want the, some of the promises like we're, we're cherry picking. Right. But, but we don't realize that, that, that is all the foundation is on the resurrection. Like that is our ultimate hope that we will live with him forever, that God will come to the earth, that we will be made like him. In other words, we will enter into eternity. And yet we value this blink of a life so much beyond the hope that's ahead of us that then we what ends up happening is that we want to preserve it. And then we were right. trying to find meaning with it. And we're trying to make sure that our constructs and our, on our, our different, you know, the way we interact in society and different things that are done in such a way that preserves or creates a highest quality of temporal life mm-hmm. that we often get blinded and, and we aren't able to see this confident blindness that this is the way it should be. Right. But there's a future that the scripture talks about as our hope and it's our hope is not here. It's not, it's not our hope isn't in this yeah. temporary life in, in, in 2020, 2020, you know, our, our, our 
ultimate hope is in an eternal state right. with him forever. And I got to tell you, that is the faith I think that pleases God is that we believe that that is better. Right. And, and I think, you know, we kind of started this whole conversation going, how do we not end up blind? And of course, yeah. the Lord helps us, you know, but I think there's a couple of things. Number one, we take the Bible verses seriously. When they confront us, we let them confront us. We don't reinterpret them. Secondly, we get a grasp of his sovereignty. He is so much in control that even his enemies will accomplish his purposes. But the third one, which I think is really important to what you're saying, is that we need to recognize that the church, the people of God in the Bible, is our actual nation, meaning it has citizenship, it has ambassadors, <laughs> it has ways to immigrate and join it. You know, if you, when you really map it out, there's like 20 aspects. I'm, I'm not making up the number. I'm sorted. It's like 10 to 20. I don't have the list in front of me. Where the church is described as a real nation. And what often happens to us is it becomes an ethereal, spiritual kind of thing where the gospel would be like, guys, you've got a real king. You're real citizens. You got real ambassadors. You're going to be real judges. You got a judiciary. Why are you right. like going to the courts? You're, you're like, like, if you start thinking about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and that's what answers the heart because we go, because so much of the things that weigh us down is like, I hoped this would go better. I was really hoping this might be that. And once we realize the Lord is fully committed to the nation he calls the church and that he's going to accomplish its best and it's going to be beautiful and nothing can stop his purpose for it. Then we might go, oh, my nation is not doing so well. And that could burden us. Like we don't have to be, oh, I really hoped that policy wouldn't become prominent. I hoped the economy would do better. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right, right. But the fact that in, you know, in, in, in this country and probably in other ones, we often have more raw emotion related to political events than we do the condition of our local Congregations. Uh, local congregations yeah. indicates we've missed this point. Yeah. And Habakkuk shows us it gets us into blindness. I mean, Isaiah shows us the same thing. Isaiah 6, you know, is a well-known passage probably to a lot of, lot of, lot of people listening. Hab Isaiah was caught in the swirl of Uzziah, who was a, just a stunning king. Right. Probably a, maybe a better, I mean, Solomon got divine wisdom, but yeah. <laughs> he was a Solomon. I mean, everything he did went really well. And then he dies. Yeah. And when he dies, Isaiah, Isaiah goes, the day, the year Uzziah died, I saw. And why did Uzziah die? Because he was a king who wanted to keep expanding his prominence. And so he went into the temple, which the king's not allowed to go. So the Lord struck him. Then, then Isaiah says, well, when Uzziah died, I looked and I saw a king sitting in a temple. Oh. There's another king. And then he went, oh my goodness, my lips are unclean. In other words, I've gotten caught up in a national discourse and false hopes and I'm unclean and heaven's going, well, who's going to go for us? Which is the implication, Isaiah, because you've been so caught up in the national discourse and the divisive language and your political hopes, yeah. you're actually not able to serve your function. I like you. You're following the Lord in a sense, but you've gotten blinded. Wow. And then the good news is the Lord goes, let me heal. Let's, and it's interesting he starts with his speech. I just wonder how much of our speech is affecting us. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, Lord. But, it's, but it's, that, it's that point that when we have raw emotion more attached 
to political outcomes and other things than we do our congregation or things. <laughs> or sports. Or sports even. <laughs> Honestly, I think the Lord's going, hey, you don't actually see the church the way I do. Wow. And if you did, you'd be confident in my inheritance, confident in my leadership. You'd still be confounded if you a little bit. Like, it doesn't make it all go away because we could still go, what? Why'd you do that? <laughs> that doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. But... I think that is really key to getting rid of blindness is aligning with the way the scripture instructs us yeah. right. to set our hope. And then we realize it's unshakable. Then we realize, like you said, Habakkuk's hope actually goes outside of his own lifetime. In other words, you and I could see our nation not go so well, this not go so well, and just go, man, I was hoping all that would happen. Yeah. And the words like, your prayers live on forever. You're part of a bigger story. The same way Abraham's obedience is actually benefiting you, your obedience is going to benefit the ones behind you. Yeah. We're caught up in a big, like you said, an unshakable hope, a big story. But we often put our hope in something right in front of us. Yeah. The Lord's actually like, I might be kind. I might be kind to your economy, but it's not your hope. Right. And when you set your hope there, the Lord is so kind, he'll actually confront our hope and sometimes shatter our hope. Yeah. When it didn't have to be shattered. But he's like, if you get too enamored with that thing, for your good, not because I'm mad at you. I want, he's jealous. Yeah. He just really is jealous. So good. So good. I mean, I think when we, we consider hope, um, it, it, uh, it's, it's an interesting topic, right? Because we bring our presuppositions to what it right. ought to look like. And so I think I, I, Isaiah's experience, I mean, I love the way that you see that perspective because i remember oh gosh one of the podcasts of old <laughs> with, 70 podcasts ago. yeah yeah we're on 75 now uh with dale anderson do you remember he talks about the seventh woe which is his unclean lips okay. and and just talking about like you know he's unfit to prophesy and he'd already just described these six woes and then he's at this place like oh my gosh i am messed up too you know like ah uh, this is uh anyways it's a i'll point you to that that podcast because it was really good it was really provoking um, but ultimately, it's this encounter with the knowledge of God. There's this opening of the eyes that Isaiah experiences, or as my Brit friends, Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah, uh, um, uh, that Habakkuk also experiences. He sees, you know, his eyes are open, you know, and we see that with a lot of the prophetic prophetic voices right um there's the opening of the eyes and then we pre pre pray in ephesians you know one mm -hmm. that, that our eyes would be open it's like it, it the, the whole and that's why i asked you about the blindness because it seems to be a theme you know yeah. you i was blind but now i see that you know there's this this experience of like oh wow it's like we we have these these blinders on and we think we can interpret reality but then god says let me turn on the lights for you that's what makes the blindness so tricky is using that a biblical analogy is you think you see yeah. that's the problem and you get bold and you get empowered and that's what makes it so tricky because a truly blind man knows he's blind. Yeah. <laughs> he, right. he's, he, but this is a blindness that you don't recognize. And if you don't respond to the Lord, you get emboldened in it. And when you get emboldened, it, it, it goes wrong quite quickly. I mean, Paul's the same kind of guy. He knows Bible verses better than, I, probably a lot of us, some, you know, some passages, Yeah, he's brilliant. I think it's knocked to the ground. Whew. And the most stunning thing 
is wow. here's a guy that could do seminars on the knowledge of God. You could do 50 right. podcasts with him, right? Yeah. Come, hey, could you break this thing down? <laughs> right? right? Paul would go, Isaiah 6 in 40 minutes, we can do a whole series on Isaiah yeah. 6. Verse 1. <laughs> yeah. And then the thing about him is, yeah. is as soon as he sees Jesus, he's only got one comment, which is so staggering. He just goes, who are you? Who are you? And it's like, this is the guy that can write volumes of theology on who the God of Israel is. And, and it when doesn't he sees recognize him, him. He's like, I don't know who this is. And I, I don't think it's, and again, he's overwhelmed. So it's not just, uh, who are you? Right. <laughs> it's, are you a strange angel? It's like, this is not who I thought you were. Yeah. Right, right. And then, and then notice that scales cover his eyes. He's blinded, right? Right. No, it's a, I, that's a great point. It's just so fascinating to me. And, and then through, through, oh man, maybe getting some revelation here, but think, thinking about, you know, the, the, the fellowship of the saints, right? It, right? it was through, you know, a believer, uh, that he was, uh, rescued from that blindness. I love that. It, it, you know, it's like God is saying, Hey, not only, not only do you, want, I want you to see, I want you to see each other so that you can help each other see. And I think in this time that we're living in, uh, you know, unprecedented times that we're in and all over the world, different conversations are erupting. You know, I, I just remember even a few weeks ago, Beirut, you know, that, that experienced that explosion and how right. lawlessness exploded and how the church exploded. And, you know, there's all kinds of things happening, but it's the, the what the Lord is uh, doing through this all. And, uh, you know, again, it's difficult to interpret a lot of things, but we do notice that he's bringing his church together, binding us together in love. And I believe that that is the rightful response to any crisis or challenge that we face right. is that we would come together yeah you know, share Bible verses with each other, talk about our hope. And, and, and somehow in the middle of that, through our disagreement and our discourse, you know, obviously seasoned with grace, we might actually come into the counsel of God, understand that, wow, he's good and he's worthy of our adoration. It's such a great point because uh, I know Stuart Greaves loves to make this point that when Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, you have the mind of Christ, he used plural language. So in some cases, our blindness is just... You know, it, uh, via social media and other things, we become more and more tribal and segregated. And so our world is, all my inputs are from people that agree with me, so to speak, right? I mean, it's been proven that Google directs search results towards what they think you want to hear, <laughs> right? Two people don't get the same, same results. So the point is, we're living in these echo chambers. And in some cases, it's like, no, I actually need someone reading the word outside my echo chamber. I need the one new man thing that Paul talked about that gets messy and gets sometimes confrontational. Yeah. But like you said, seasoned with grace, with confidence, sometimes we're blind because we, as, I think we make a dangerous assumption, Westerners do at least, that the Lord wants me as an individual to be perfect and mature. And I would go, the Bible verses don't quite read that way. They read, you've become part of a people. And you might be a foot. And if you're a foot, you really need a hand. Yeah. Like, in other words, there are things God will never give you. Right. Because he gave it to the person across from right. you. He's so committed to us coming together. Right. Because otherwise you become an independent island to yourself. And there's nowhere that that's in the, in the, in the scripture. So instead, right. God's like, I want to form a people right. who each contribute. Right. And as you contribute, you actually grow in a knowledge of God that is... You cannot obtain any other way. Like it's John 17, which we've talked about before, where Jesus says, 
I'm asking you to bring them all together in unity, which means they're going to be different. You don't need to pray mm-hmm. for unity if we're all like, and then he says, so that they may be one in us. Wow. So if we avoid the process, we're limiting our experience of God as a people. Wow. We're not accessing what's available. Such a huge point. I'm glad you brought that up. When you see, you will worship. I love that. I love how you end your book because ultimately that is that is the prototype I, I think that, it. that Habakkuk leaves us is that if we sing. see, we will sing yeah. and we will declare the glory of the Lord in the land of the living. I will Amen. preach amongst the congregation. I will testify. I mean, we see all of these things, but it happens through our shared discourse, bubbling up with affection for him, right. sharing our pain, our struggles, yeah. and in the midst of it, coming out of it with abounding hope yeah. right? and knowing that not only is he in control and not only does he see us and have great compassion on us, but he has a plan. Right. And we can trust him. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone get this so book. <laughs> is it going on sale for Amen. Black Friday? <laughs> Black Friday. <laughs> Black Friday, get two for one. No. We'll put it on the uh, <laughs> uh, on the uh, um, on the on the link or yeah. on the description below for you guys to check out. And yeah. uh, I really recommend it. I think again, it's very provoking. As always, Samuel, thank you for joining oh, us. Oh, my pleasure. I love to talk Bible. <laughs> this is great. Jesus. So good to linger on those difficult questions and find some answers, hopefully. But um, if you haven't seen our previous podcast, go ahead and find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, any outlet that you have for your podcast. And we look forward to seeing you next Friday, 2 p.m. Central Time. Peace.